You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we return to the monthly series, City Farming. We'll discuss how lambs graze sustainably using solar panel technology and how the cost and use of farmland within city limits places pressures on our flourishing food system. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Lindsay Smith, family farmer at Shady Creek Lamb Company. Welcome, Lindsay. Hi, Peggy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited you're here. I'm super excited about this. Can't wait to share our story and cover all that we do here on the farm. So, Lindsay, you're a family farmer. And what does that mean? And what does a family farmer do? We kind of have these notions of old McDonald's farm, but it's not really like that. Yeah, it, it kind of isn't anymore. At the same time, the, the family is still very much the heart of, of most of the farms that, uh, that you will find. It just looks maybe a little different. So here on our farm, we farm on land that my partner, Chris Moore, his grandparents bought in the 60s. They dairy farmed here until the early 90s. And then he has since been farming either cattle or sheep and some grain ever since then. And then he and I formed our farm as Shady Creek Lamb Co. in late 2016, early 2017. Started solar grazing in late 2017 as a means of continuing a family farm. For us, it's, it's very much about, you know, it's a team effort. We have three kids. My oldest is 13. Our youngest is four. It's busy. That's for sure. Um, And we all do all that we can. So we are very mindful, of course, of farm safety. And we try and choose uh, age appropriate tasks and jobs for on the farm. But we also try very hard to make sure that everybody is included. And we are doing everything. So we look after our our animals. We look after our land. We're doing our marketing, everything in between. So it it makes for very busy days. I can imagine. And it's I, I know what you're talking about. I grew up on a family farm about the age appropriate work. And I can remember one of my jobs was to feed the cats. We had a lot of cats at the barn. So, you know, I was young, you know, but I had my job very proud of it. So what's a typical day like on, on your farm? I don't know if there is a typical one, to be honest, but you know, what's interesting is, is we live our lives, of course, by the cycle of the year, by the production cycle of our sheep, by the seasons, of course. And so every season sort of has its own busyness and perhaps its own break from certain things for sure. Right now we're in, you know, the thick of summer. And so that means I am at uh, the farmer's market on Saturdays selling our lamb uh, locally. Chris is on site every day at one of the two solar sites that we graze. We, of course, also still have some animals here at home. So we have a few cows um, and our rams stay home and we have all the bottle babies from this spring's lambing. We lamb annually um, with the warmer weather and the green grass coming on in the springs. And that's an intense few weeks. Uh, we put up all our own winter feed. So we'll be haying and that sort of just continues all the way on till September. Winter is, is maybe our quieter time. Uh, we do focus on some direct selling and uh, the sheep, of course, still need cared for uh, throughout the winter. But it, I would say if there is a slower time, it would it would be in our winter months for sure. What a window into your whole year. There's a whole other cycle on a family farm that you're watching, which is the evolution of the animals, the crops, very, very busy all the time. So very very early to rise 
and uh, very late to bed. And you're doing some really innovative work with solar panels and land grazing. Lindsay, can you tell us about that? It is definitely pretty unique to, um, to our farm that we are now a handful of sheep farmers in Ontario that graze under solar panels as part of our farming venture. So we are about 10 minutes away from a 200 acre solar installation. And it's a commercial site. We don't own it. It is run uh, by a, a company and we approach them in 2017 to do a pilot project. My partner, Chris, has I mean, he grew up in this area. He's driven past that solar site over and over. Lots of beautiful grass growing in it. And he's always sort of said, we really should put sheep in there. And so finally in 2017, with the birth of our youngest, we had to sit down and really try and figure out how we were going to run a commercial venture, how we were going to keep this farm going in the face of, you know, increasing land values. We are within Ottawa city limits. So we are, you know, we're up against against some development and, and pretty high competition for land. We were trying to, you know, grow our flock without, you know, going maybe potentially completely broke, trying to leverage debt to try and do so. And one of our potential solutions was to approach the solar company and say, you know, we've got this flock of sheep that could do an amazing job helping you keep those panels clear. What do you think? And we were quite lucky that they were very on side. And we did a small pilot project the end of 2017. And in the spring of 2018, we moved our entire flock there in early May, and we are now in our fourth full grazing season, and we have added a second site this year. So we actually have taken on the vegetation abatement contract. So we are actually paid to graze the site. And the reason for that is we're not just opening the gates and, and throwing our sheep on in there and saying, you know, have a great summer, we'll see you in the fall. We're actually actively managing the grazing in that site. We move our sheep every day to two days so that we systematically cover the site and we keep those panels clear. Um, we do, of course, have to care for the animals. We have to water them and we have livestock guardian dogs as well that need care for every day. So it's quite labor intensive, but at the same time, it is a wonderful, wonderful synergy between uh, sheep and, and land production and the solar site and vegetation abatement. So it all works really, really well. And it's allowed us to grow our flock, to grow our farm business in a relatively well risk managed way in that we haven't, we of course have had to have some expenditures and taken on some added work for sure, but we haven't had to leverage everything we've owned just to try and get access to another couple hundred acres. So Wow. As you were speaking, Lindsay, I just realized I'm in front of an innovator and so few people, you know, we kind of have these narratives that we grew up in childhood, old McDonald's farm, but the reality is you've got to be incredibly creative, uh, not just with the solar panels, but just so the human ingenuity required to solve even daily problems. And it is commodity based when it rains or the snow comes early or the frost happens, that's your entire livelihood can be affected. So important at that innovation that family farmers are engaged in, but also just really trying to be able to run the business with the cost of land and the cost of various other things. And we have this challenge, this show is called Food for the Future and farmers can't make any less and many households can't pay anymore. So it's time for innovation. Farmers love what they do, their animals and their crops and love feeding in the cities and city people love delicious foods. So we've got to have some innovation to make sure that the, those two loves remain together, the households and the farmer. And also the sustainability dimension to it. And it's 
seems like it's a win, 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 right? Yeah, it really is. And it is one of the things that we'll be the first to admit that, you know, years ago, we saw solar sites as sort of competition for farmland. We now see solar sites as just another way to use farmland so long as there's sheep underneath it still making food and still maintaining habitat. So it is, it can, we can all win in this for sure. So I think that's a common theme right across the spectrum of our food and agri-food systems is we're, we're in a period of a lot of pressure, but that's also a time where there can be great innovation. Lindsay, I know it can't be easy uh, being a family farmer with the innovations and the pressures, but what keeps you going? There are certainly days um, where there just aren't enough hours in a day. There isn't enough help. There's the list of things of the summer of 2021, things we want to accomplish. There are certainly times where it feels like it's a bit of a treadmill. It's a bit of a, you know, just working so hard to try and build something and and try and make something um, that we're proud of with our lamb um, and make a difference for sure on the landscape. We're really proud of underneath those solar panels, the amount of habitat, the amount of insects and the amount of birds and the amount of things that we hear buzzing around. And some of the things that keep us going are watching the landscape here on our home farm change from annual crops to perennial forage. That has benefits for our soil. It has benefits for habitat, for birds and insects. And it's really important as part of our water cycle. And all of these things are working together. And that I think is what really encourages us. It's been rewarding to see those little wins of seeing some of our fields produced a fantastic amount of forage for our animals. Um, It is always rewarding to see our sheep, you know, they move so willingly between paddocks. They love going to fresh grass and they make a racket when they do it. They're super loud. And then they just put their heads down and start to munch. And watching our lambs grow in watching our ewe flock, that constant sort of improvement and those little, just moving that bar that little bit is really encouraging. And the other part too, very much is that human component too. We love actually connecting with people who also care about where their food comes from, for sure. And they really want to know how to support their farmers. And they really want to know what you're doing because they find it fascinating. You know, they're glad that they could connect with us. And so those little wins really keep you going. Because sometimes the big losses can can be really tough. So the little wins really, I think, propel us forward for sure. Wonderful. That connection working with nature and with humanity. So after the break, we'll hear more from Lindsay Smith, family farmer at Shady Creek Lamb Company. Lindsay will share her perspective on pressures brought on by cost and use of farmland. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. We're speaking with Lindsay Smith, family farmer at Shady Creek Lamb Company, about the cost and use of farmland, which places pressures on our flourishing food system. Lindsay, farmers face a number of pressures, two of them being cost of land and stipulations in the way land is used. So I'd like to address cost first. Can you tell us from a farmer's perspective how cost pressures affect your livelihood? So this is one of those ones that it really is requiring farmers to to become perhaps a little more flexible, be be innovative and trying to sort out how you can achieve what you want to do on potentially a limited land base or with limited access to owned land. There's an incredible demand for land for all sorts of different purposes. And most of our really good farmland um, is, well, there's 
plenty of it under pavement now because it was so close to where cities began and and along waterways and those sorts of things. And so as our cities here in Canada have grown here in Ontario, as the city grows outwards, it starts to eat up what other people might see as just a field, but to a family that potentially is a farm that's been in their family for, you know, 200 years or, and we are certainly within Ottawa city limits. We are at the very edge of it. And so we are not in the city proper. We are about 15 to 20 minutes away from a suburb, but I would guess at the rate of which the city is growing, it will be on our doorstep in 15 or so years. And that means that the developers will likely be here five to 10 years before that. So that's not that long. If you think about it, even within agriculture, though, there is a struggle of, you know, I there are more farmers than me around here. So we all would like use of land and we'd all like to potentially expand our businesses. And so then we're, you know, competing with each other. We're competing with developers. We're competing with people that want to put up an acreage. We're competing with uh, people who consider land a good investment and just want to kind of sit on it, all those sorts of things. And so if we value food production, um, it can be a real challenge to keep land as a farm because that might not be actually the most profitable use of that land. And that does create some issues for sure. And especially as farmers, you know, we are, you know, not young farmers anymore, but still we've got young kids at home. We still have a career ahead of us. And realistically, the numbers that we're talking about, and even in Western, you know, West of Ottawa, we're not talking about the same numbers as say you would see around some other cities or towns in in Southern Ontario, but our farmland is still quite pricey and, and it still continues to go up every year. And grazing does actually take quite a bit of land. Now we can use land that is really well suited to grazing. It's maybe too rocky or too steep or those sorts of things that it, it really can't be cropped economically economically anyway. So it becomes a wonderful use of that land, but we still have to try and access it. We, I mean, for us, the solar grazing has become part of our business model. We have shifted very aggressively to use that land base. And without it, I'll be honest, we likely would both have off-farm jobs and keep a little flock and, you know, make our hay and not actually really run a commercial enterprise because we're sitting, we have a hundred acres and there's only so much you can do with a hundred acres. Realistically, there has to be access in some way. And we have to potentially be very innovative in how we get that, whether that's through renting or leases or long-term leases or things like solar grazing. And as the pressure mount of development and these sorts of things, there's just less of it to go around. Right. So lots of pressures and accessing it in many ways. You talked about renting, but also being able to have families stay on their farms and that the cost of farmland is not such that they are not able to make enough off it to actually run a farm. And, and live on the farms. Are you aware, Lindsay, of any policies or strategies that are planned to help farmers with the cost of land? So it's an interesting one. There's definitely several different ways and means that different organizations have tried to support farmers. I know around here, there was an organized sort of meet and greet, if you will, for people that had land and people who were interested in potentially accessing some um, within Ottawa city limits. Now, of course, the pandemic has put a bit of a slowdown on some of these uh, networking opportunities, but they do exist. There's different sort of land loan programs for young farmers and starting programs that are starting out farmers that can be helpful. So there are some means. I think that many of the people that I speak with that, you know, let's say they they want to start farming, they want to start growing some of their own food. Often there is a bit of a void there for information of where they would find, you know, even where this land would be. I also find it sometimes a little bit discouraging when people, they buy two acres and they think they're going to support their whole family on two acres. And sometimes
sometimes, you know, there's this idea that we could all homestead on two acres and we could all feed ourselves when realistically the economics just don't support that. And you can do amazing things on two acres, don't get me wrong. But if we want our farmers to be successful, you know, it's going to take more than just your backyard to essentially do that and put all those things together. So really when it comes down to it is often is making that connection potentially if you've got a great idea or if you've got the energy and the wherewithal to want to put the work in, if you can connect with someone who's got some land that they want to see used to grow food, that sort of stuff, you can potentially build yourself a, a dandy little business that can potentially support you and bring some of that food locally for sure. So there are opportunities out there, but it's definitely a challenge. That leads me to my next question, Lindsay, linking right back into what you just said is how can households help keep family farmers on their land and thriving? That's a wonderful question. I am an optimist on this one in that I have seen firsthand how caring uh, people can be, how much support there is for farmers in general. But sometimes I think someone who lives in a city or even suburbia or even a small town, they may never actually get to meet farmers. Um, And so they sort of have to learn where their food comes sort of in a passive way. And so I would love for people in Ontario, people in the towns, the cities, rural areas living on acreages, all those sorts of things, you know, to really put some effort into meeting some farmers. Farmers in your area, farmers online, farmers love social media, by the way. So Twitter, Instagram, there are some amazing Instagram accounts. I have yet to meet a farmer who is on, say, social media or hosts a tour or anything like that, who doesn't love to talk about their farm and what they do on their farm and their animals and how they farm. And how a farmer makes a decision about what they do on their farm is usually really complicated. And if you're just sort of passively buying your food and away you go, you don't really maybe have time to get into that. But if you can take the time to get to know a farmer and ask them about, you know, their favorite place on their farm or their favorite time of year on the farm, you know, those sorts of things, you'll start to realize that farmers are people too. And most of the things they really care about that they want to see improved in this on the landscape, they care about water quality, they care about animal welfare, all of these things really matter to them too, because they're probably raising their kids in in their own backyard and feeding them the food that they grow. You can learn so many really neat things. Farming can be high stress, it can be high stakes, it can be complex complicated, but it's also fascinating. And there's so many really great stories to be told. And farmers want to talk to you and want to answer your questions. And there's no such thing as a dumb question. And when you find a farmer that's willing to talk, um, I would apologize in advance in that I'm I'm also one of those people that will just talk your ear off. So, you know, careful what you wish for. But if you do and you connect with those farmers, when you do have a question, one thing I would absolutely beg is for people when they see something maybe scary in the news or they have a friend saying, oh, I don't eat fill in the blank because of fill in the blank, I would love for them to reach out to their farmers and say, you know, my neighbor said that I shouldn't eat X because this happens. And what do you think about that? You'd be amazed at the thoughtful response you're going to get and maybe how much more there is to that story. And I'm not saying farmers are experts on everything, but they're experts of their own farm. And they'll be able to tell you what they do and why they do it and the precautions they might take or what they consider before choosing a certain activity or those sorts of things. So whether it's, you know, if you have a question how a dairy cow is raised, or if you have a a question about where your food comes from or all those sorts of things, um, I would just love to see more of that openness to to talk to our farmers and give them the chance to to say their side and, and their perspective. I think that would be an amazing leap forward in respectful dialogue between the two. That respectful dialogue on finding the facts out for yourself from a, a variety of sources. Wonderful. Finding the facts out for yourself from a, a variety of sources. Follow the argument till the logic breaks. 
And then when the logic mm. breaks, doesn't make sense anymore, then that might give you your answer. And I think as you are trying to find your answer is certainly including the farmer. There are a lot of farmers getting um, really active on social media and sharing really, you know, what life on the farm actually is like. And I think it cultivates an appreciation for the job and for the crusade. And I, I've said that I think twice in the show, but I, I did grow up on a farm and I do know the trials and tribulations of commodity-based living. You can work all year and not get paid. It, it can be a very difficult life. So all of the new ideas you're bringing to land use. I think that that's wonderful. And on a broader scale, I wanted to just bring to all the listeners attention is the Canadian grasslands are endangered. I'm just wondering what's a farmer's perspective on how we can help? That's actually a really key thing. So first of all, I'm actually from Manitoba originally. And so the grasslands themselves are very near and dear to my heart, of course, but realistically our grasslands are an incredible part of the habitat ecosystems in here in Canada. And they are under incredible threat. And one of the things we have certainly learned, and there's, you know, some really fantastic research that's been done to show the value of managed grazing on our grasslands. And that value that ruminants bring, so that can be cattle, it can be bison, it can be sheep, the continued introduction of these animals to the grasslands in a sustainable way, in a managed way, is actually the healthiest thing for those grasslands and keeps them healthy. It keeps all the other birds and the other insects and everything sort of working as it co-evolved with each other. And many farmers will tell you that's incredibly important to them is that they recognize that there is biodiversity, that we have a lot of waterways, that we have riparian areas, that we have areas that we need to take care of to make sure that we aren't doing something harmful to them and then actively managing for that. So there are many farmers who are trying to figure out ways to integrate things like perennial cover. So that's plants that are going to grow, they're going to come back every year, or they're looking at ways to add cover crop that uh, can help to decrease erosion. So if there's a big rain event, it keeps our soil healthier. There's also delayed haying. So some of us will delay haying until the nesting birds have managed to fledge, and then we'll take that cut of hay. These ecosystems, our waterways, they all work together. We can put in the effort and our putting in the effort to make sure we can maintain some of that. And I do want people to know that livestock can be a really important part. Sometimes they're an essential part of these ecosystems. And we've got to look across a broader dashboard. Lindsay, is there a final message that you'd like to share with listeners about family farming, land grazing, or farmland use? You know, your farmers, definitely, we are out here on the landscape. We enjoy what we do. Uh, We're usually quite proud of bringing food to people's tables. And yes, absolutely, ask us questions please, please, please give us the chance to have that conversation. Most of us love, love to speak to someone who wants to know where their food comes from. Well, absolutely. Probably talk your ear off. So by all means. <laughs> Lindsay, our conversation today has left me uplifted and inspired. And I just couldn't be happier that you were here today. And thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Lindsay Smith, family farmer at Shady Creek Lamb Company. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about. Why do you think our farmland should be protected? something to do, go to the Nature Conservancy Canada website to Grassland 101 to find out what's being done to protect our grasslands. And next week on the show, we'll return to Back to the Future. We'll talk about home canning and preserving with Pat Crocker, cookbook author and lifetime honorary member of the Culinary Historians of Canada. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.